Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from central Pennsylvania. It is a beautiful day, and on beautiful days, we like to talk safety on this podcast. So joined, as always, by fellow safety lover, safety lover in Pennsylvania, Chris Martin. Chris, time to check in, brother. Hey, John. Thanks for that, like, whack upside the head. Like, wait up, dude. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Hey, it's good to be here, John. And I think every day is a beautiful day because now we're talking about safety. So we get to tie that in. We've talked about this so much in all the road trips that we've had and all that fun stuff. But hi, everyone. I am Chris Martin, and I'm president of Atlas Marketing. And we tell stories for companies who build things. And today we have got one of the all-time best storytellers that I have ever known. And it goes a long, long way. Yeah, I'm hyping him up big time. So the the, hype train's coming. Watch out, man. Here we go. Watch (laughs) out. But today we have an old friend of mine. And in fact, we actually got the chance to run into, we physically ran into each other at the AGC convention. My friend, Joe Polyophico from Construction Risk Partners. Joe, thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. How are you today? We're doing good. We're doing good, Joe. So you guys yeah. didn't physically run into each other, right? Oh, yeah. No, oh, we physically. did. Okay. Yeah, the odds of me actually being on this <laughs> podcast were slim to none until we actually ran into each other at a sports bar at the sports book in Vegas at a meeting, right? I was talking to somebody and Chris popped his head into our little circle and I haven't seen Chris for 30 years or so, whatever yeah. it's been. It's just oh, kind of, the world's kind of went in separate directions. I came out to Denver and Chris stayed on the East Coast and- it was very fortunate that we did that we did bump into each other, to say the least. Yeah. Awesome. Very, very true. Yeah. Very well, next true. time you have a meeting at a sports bar, I'll I'll I'll, I'll expect an invite. That's how I do my business, guys. That's how I do my business. <laughs> and unfortunately, not, neither of us won any money, but we yeah. still had a great connection. But yeah. yeah, let's jump in here. So tell yes. us a little bit about Construction Risk Partners and how you got to be with the company. Yeah. So I've been with CRP now for about five months. Prior to that, I've spent the better part of my close to now 30 years in the construction business on the contractor side, doing safety programs and risk management programs for the contractor side. I was approached by my friends at CRP back right around Christmas time, I would say, with the idea that they wanted to expand their footprint and start to move physically out West, although we've got clients nationwide. They wanted to open up an office ultimately here in Denver. I've been out here for about 10 years now, and I've known those guys for 20 plus years. And CRP has been around since 1986. It was founded as Marquee Associates and, and became CRP back in 2006, I believe it was. I know the principles there. I've known the principles there. And, you know, what's different about CRP is we are construction centric from an insurance brokerage standpoint. We only work in the contracting space. We'll work for developers, project specific programs together and things of that nature. But primarily our bread and butter is working with contractors, you know, from a business standpoint, trying to make their businesses more successful and viewing it through that risk lens. So we just don't look at insurance as a transactional type situation. We try to get involved in their business and understand their business 
And I think that was one of the big reasons why I made the move to get out of the contracting, working for contractor space and into the brokerage space, because I've been lucky enough in my almost 30 years to be able to sit at the executive table of these contractors and working day to day with folks in the field all the way up through the executive team. So I understand the construction process and that's what really excites me about it. So it's not just a conversation around safety or risk, it's around the business, right? That's what I really enjoy about working for CRP at this point, because that's the way that we do our business. And uh, speaking of that, you said something prior to hitting the record button and you kind of touched on it briefly there, but you talked about safety and risk and you can combine both to be more successful in this industry. Yeah. Can you maybe touch on that for a little bit? Yeah. And it still starts to tell some of those stories that Chris was telling, you know, I think, yeah. you know, I am a Millersville university graduate. I'm originally from Philadelphia. So I'm a four for four guy, right? Phillies, Eagles, all the sports teams. So being oh, out here. Edit that yeah. out. Edit that out. I know that we're talking about, we've got Baltimore folks and DC folks and Pittsburgh folks. I get that, right? Okay. It's all good. But I moved out to Colorado about 10 years ago. Okay, but being a Millersville guy, I graduated with a degree in occupational safety and industrial hygiene management. And, you know, I found out very quickly in my career that safety is not just what you find in any textbook, right? For instance, my first interview for the construction industry, I was brought in by a telecom company that did telecommunications work, working on telephone poles, underground utilities, those types of things. And the COO at the time who interviewed me said, I don't think that we're going to be able to do anything from a safety standpoint, but we need you so our insurance carrier will give us coverage. So that, that kind of smacked me right outside the head where, you know, welcome to the game, kid, because the safety thing is great and all, but we just have you as a figurehead so we could get insurance. And so the good news was I took the gig because I figured I couldn't screw it up any more than it was. I think their mod was close to a two or something at the time. And I think when I left eight years later, we had it down to a 0.68. So, I mean, we were able to do some things, but they were paying people per linear foot of production. And basically he said, we don't have time for safety. We just need you so that we can get our insurance in line. Right. And I thought that was, I thought that was telling to say the least. Yeah. Welcome and to the it, team that just shut up and sit down, right? Yeah, we've got somebody now. There you go, right? But you know what, guys? Nobody puts Joe in a corner. Nobody puts <laughs> yes, Joe in a corner. Yes. But the other part of that story, guys, is, you know, a few weeks after I signed on, the CFO came into my office and he says, hey, you know, he comes in with all these spreadsheets at the time. And he says, I said, what is this? He said, well, these are our insurance proposals that we have for the coming year. And I said, okay. And he said, well, you need to pick one. And I said, what do I know about insurance? I knew nothing about insurance at the time. And he said, well, you're the safety guy. You got to tell us what you think you can get done this year and, and figure it out. So I, I kind of scooped everything up. I did that thing and went to our broker at the time and spent a solid week. Not that that was enough time to say the least, but I was able to kind of glean some information and try to figure out what we could do. And the interesting thing was going into that first year, that company had only paid money to insurance. They had never gotten any money back. So we went on what was called a retro program at the time where we fronted a bunch of cash, especially on workers' comp. And if we didn't have any losses, that money came back to us, right? So we actually got money back that year, a couple hundred thousand dollars back that they had never gotten back before. And uh, that's how I got my first bonus. So the owner walked into my office, small company, right? And hands me an envelope 
and pats me on the back and says, thank you for your service for the year. And then I, I quickly ran into the bathroom and opened it up and it's past the tax implication time. So it was five grand in cash and hundred dollar bills. But when you're making, I don't know, 30 grand a year at the time in the early nineties, that was a big deal. So that's how I started to see the, the correlation between risk and safety and trying to manage that piece of it. Yeah. It's not a bad bonus. I'll be honest. I mean, it, what? 26, 25, 26, it's not a bad bonus, but yeah. so move over into out of the safety world, even though we're, it's a great day, like John said at the beginning, we're not getting rid of safety, but right. how do you look at risk versus the safety component? Building off of that story, what were some of the takeaways that you got going through that experience? And then how do you apply it, not only to your clients, but what are some things that other GCs or other people in the industry could learn from from that? Yeah, so early in the 90s, I'll take a step back. I think early in the 90s, the people that were safety folks in the construction industry, they weren't necessarily classically trained. Yes, Millersville had a program and there were a handful around the country. So safety was still this ambiguous thing that companies looked at and they said, well, who's the best person that we can put internally to do that? And so usually my contemporaries at that time were ex-superintendents, ex-project managers that probably weren't very good at doing their jobs, but the companies wanted to keep them. So they gave them safety director positions and said, here you go. So I wasn't very impressed by some of the takes of some of my contemporaries at that time, rightfully so. And again, I had a little bit of an ego because I went to school for this, right? I was classically trained in this. And over the years now, over the past 30 years, that's completely changed, right? Safety directors are classically trained. For the most part, they understand human attributes that they need to tie into to get their program sold, et cetera. But what I learned at that time was not only that piece of it, through my time on that first job. But when you start to connect the insurance piece and you start to connect the overall risk posture of a company, you start to take on a different role and you start to look at the company a little bit differently. Yes, safety is something that is necessary at the job level and it's necessary boots on the ground and 10 fingers and 10 toes. But those types of connections to people that are working and swinging hammers and doing the work in the field, you've got to kind of come up with different ways to kind of gain their attention, right? And what I found out is after you get past that 10 fingers and 10 toes, you have to have some other hooks, right? And look, let's be honest, outside of the, the moral obligation to keep your employees safe, I think over the past 30 years, companies have really seen the financial impact that that has, not only from morale and from the human aspect, but it also, it also helps the company's bottom line. I learned that very easily and very fast in that first, based on that first story. And what I learned was risk management and that piece of it, whether it's insurance or just risk posturing, what kind of jobs do you take, et cetera, those are kind of held in that executive financial tranche, right? The losses, the financial people see that. Operationally though, that's where traditionally is kind of reported through. And those two operations guys and finance guys, they very rarely talk to each other. Right? They talk different languages, right? And yeah. they could both be sitting in the room, see hear the same things, and they're not disconnecting, right? So when I went back to school, I was going back to get my master's. Instead of getting my master's in safety, I got my MBA. I got my master's in business because that financial component was huge, right? So the idea yeah. then that I had was, 
combining safety and risk then turns itself into a more, a larger role within the organization. If you can pull those two, you still need your safety team to kind of give be those kind of ears on the tracks and understand what's going on in the field. At, but at the same time, I could talk finance and understand the risk posture of companies and therefore develop programming, whether it's project-specific insurance or corporate insurance that's based on the risk of the company's tolerance. So you get a clearer picture. And I've worked on billion and $2 billion, $3 billion joint ventures, and I'll talk to other risk managers, you know, that if we're doing a joint venture to build a big bridge somewhere in the world, and they would say, well, I don't understand how you can even deal with safety because I can't deal with safety. And then I deal with safety directors at other companies and I talk to them and they go, well, I don't understand how you can do that risk thing because that's all foreign to me. I think they're inextricably linked personally. I think that those two pieces, you know, they, they, they feed off of one another and you can use information from either end. I could use information from the risk posturing on the financial aspect to help sell my safety programs. And conversely, when you're making executive decisions, usually the big voice in the room is the COO that's talking about what the job force can do, which is they have that role. My job as a risk manager is to expand on that and say, yes, we can do X, Y, and Z because we've got this program in place. It's been successful and we're making inroads with the field people. Most risk managers, if they don't have that safety component, if they're not getting that feedback from this field, that feedback loop, how are they going to be successful in their jobs? And I think that I've been able to kind of pull those two pieces together and build out a, a narrative within sitting at the executive table that's a little bit more complete, let's say. That's my feelings around it. Yeah. Interesting. Have you seen the evolution or change at all when it comes to safety directors and safety education when it comes to colleges? Are they still just focused kind of on boots on the ground in the field, or is there a shift towards risk at all? I think that there are more and more safety people that I've talked to that are open to it. I don't know that it's been classically trained. I know that insurance is now something that is covered. When I was at Millersville, and that's not to say that Millersville was a bad program, we didn't have, we didn't talk finance. We didn't talk insurance. We didn't talk insurance coverages. For instance, when I took that first gig as that safety director of that first company, I knew nothing about workers' comp. I knew nothing about claims management. Had to learn that stuff on the fly. I think there's more and more of that claims management piece that comes into it. Um, but I got to tell you, if you take just a risk management, you take the risk management component, you want to teach that, and you want to teach safety, they are very different, right? Mm -hmm. They are two very dis different disciplines. But I think that the smart ones now are starting to see where that links up. And some of the conversations that I'm having with a couple of my potential clients right now, they're trying to find risk managers in construction. And they're having a hard time because there's not a whole lot of people that are in the risk management space that even want to be in construction. Let's face it, there's risk management. You can go into manufacturing, do whatever. But in the construction phase, it's not. What I'm doing, though, with some of my clients is helping them to develop their safety person into that role because it risk lies in most organizations across the spectrum, right? When, when I go into an organization as a brand new employee and I wanted to pull together safety and risk, which I've done four or five different times in my career for different companies, 
It's not go to one place and it's right there. You've got to figure out where it lives. And the problem is you're starting to take that away from certain people that might have had it in their bailiwick. And you're saying, well, it's mine now, right? I mean, so it can be a little bit contentious. But understanding where to look and take those pockets, in some cases, in some cases, when I came into some, some spots and said, hey, you're responsible for this. I want to take that over. They were more than happy to give it to me, right? Whether it's safety or risk, people do not necessarily want to have to manage that with their day-to-day jobs. So sometimes they're more than happy to do it. And it is a little bit odd, I have to admit, but I'm working with a couple of these companies to try to build their safety people into that risk management role. Because let's face it, if you are a safety director or a VP of safety for a company, you probably hit your ceiling, right? It's a career passing situation at this point, the way I look at it. If you could take your safety person and build them in to a risk manager and at least help with that process, I think that you can win. Yeah. So, Joe, let me ask you this then. Beyond the little fiefdoms that occur in a company and pulling responsibility from one place to another or putting it in different places, what are some of the challenges for companies when they are looking for a risk manager? And I guess where I'm going with that is beyond just there's not that many people that think that way. What are the challenges that, that arise from that? So one of the things that I will tell you is I was with a CEO in a heavy civil contractor in San Francisco or the Oakland area, actually, a couple of weeks back. And we were sitting in his, his conference room. It was just the two of us. I've known him for a few years and we were having lunch in his conference room. And it was great that he gave me an hour of his time. And he asked me, he's like, we are thinking about trying to find a risk manager and they're doing just under a couple hundred million a year in revenue. So, you know, for a heavy civil contractor, that's okay. It's not super big. It's not super small. It's like kind of in that middle. And I think that's where a lot of, a lot of companies think about right now. Do I need a risk manager? What do they do? How do they deal with this stuff? Right. And I will tell you, I think the biggest impact for anybody, any company that would look to bring in a risk manager is your claims management process. Right now, that's probably falling in your HR folks. Mm -hmm. It might be an HR person that's handling some workers comp. It could be your safety people in some way, shape or form. GL might be handled by some finance person. Auto might be handled by another finance person. And none of them are connected, right? There's no one internally that can pull that claims process from a risk management perspective. And that's only one aspect of the job. Nobody can pull that stuff together because again, you're talking about I have to deal with the field. I have to get information and how am I going to get that information? And not a lot of people want to deal with that. So trying to pull that stuff together and then have that individual become the face for your organization with your third party folks, whether it be insurance carriers, insurance underwriters, insurance brokers, the loss control services that are associated with that, how to manage those types of things. And just that day-to-day entrepreneurial conversations around should we take a job or not and the reasons why when i worked for Flatiron construction out here we did 1.7 billion a year in revenue worldwide right doing roads and bridges and every week we would have our go no-go conversations and there was five or six of us and the pms would have to present the job opportunities and we'd say yes or no and it could have environmental consequences it could have insurance ramifications Right. If you're a home builder and you're trying to do residential work and you're everything you do is stick built, 
good luck trying to find a builder's risk program. I mean, those are the types of conversations that as a company, as you continue to grow and get involved in other spaces, you have to have somebody that's educated because right now it's a little bit dicey out there on the insurance stuff, right? Property market's very, very hard. The wind and the wildfire risk, especially out here out west, is a huge problem, right? Trying to get coverage. And if you don't understand those things and you start to get involved in other things that you may not necessarily understand the back end of, yeah, it's great. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a bunch of land and I'm going to put up some apartments and I'm going to stick build it and I should be able to get insurance for that, no problem. And you go and do all that stuff without having the education around what the cost is going to cost and the true cost of risk. You're in problem. You got problems. So those are the kind of conversations you want to start. Joe, it's funny you said what you just said earlier too about the proposal no-go process. I wonder how many people that are listening actually include their safety and risk officer or safety in, in that discussion. Because as you said that, well, wait a second. Some of our clients typically just get the job, right? Just get the job, figure it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. It's get the job and then we'll figure out how we're going to man it. Then we'll figure out how we're going to do all these things. But yet you bring up some really good points there. Is there an environmental component? I mean, what's all the bonding capacity? Can we handle that with other projects? All of those things coming together. I think that's something that a lot of our listeners, regardless of the region, regardless if they're just in Pennsylvania or across the country or hell, across the world, may want to look at that as part of their process. So that was really interesting. Thank you for that. That was a pretty, pretty intriguing takeaway there. And let me throw, there may be some hesitancy to include people like that in your go, no go conversations. And the reason why, because safety people say no, risk people say no, right? It's embedded in our nature as professionals to kind of say, hold on, let's take a look take a step back and take a look at this and have a conversation. And that may not necessarily be something that people want to actually have those conversations. They may not want to have those conversations. But what I will tell you, Chris, is I had gone into every one of those meetings saying, how can we make this a yes? And then that challenges me to get off of my spot of starting it. No, I want to start it. Yes and then work my way backwards. And if you've got the right personality and skill set for that, then that can work. But I would say if you want to do a go, no go, I think it's absolutely important to bring those types of people into the conversations. How much weight you give that as a CEO, that's really up to you because at the end of the day, that's what you do. You're managing risk just like everybody else. And general contractors, to your point, Chris, general contractors, that's all they do. They don't do anything. General contractors, and I'm not going to piss off any general contractors, they build stuff, but do they really, they manage risk. They take the owners and I want this building to look a certain way and, and, and function a certain way. And a general contractor goes, I can get that done for you. And then they turn and they bring in other people, but what are they doing? They're managing risk of the owner. That's what they do. Yeah, I agree. So So it makes sense to bring those types of people into those conversations. Right. And if you need more, yes, it's better. Yeah. Yeah. If you need more yeses, just bring business development with you. They'll say yes to everything. That is true so, state. That is true. So we're a couple of years removed from 2020, you know, with COVID and and with the podcast and with, you know, articles and everything. There was so much focus on safety, rightly so, keeping the workers safe. And we had podcasts on technology and 
training directors talking about new training techniques. There was so much focus on safety. And when it came to risk, all you heard was attorneys saying, first, force majeure, force majeure. We want to talk about that or any other comments related to risk and coming off of a pandemic and see what your thoughts are there. Well, I think when you're thinking about risk and a lot of things happened over those couple of years, right? Companies had to get lean. There was, there was internal, there was internal pieces that, that probably got merged with other stuff. Companies had to get lean. Well, the markets had to do the same thing, right? The markets weren't sure about, I think that you saw a ton of, of lawsuits with carriers for coverage to trigger property coverage for business interruption insurance and all those types of things. So the, the contentiousness between the insureds, and I'm not just talking about construction, I'm just talking about in general, right? The, the contentiousness between insureds and their carriers rose quite a bit because everybody was on edge. Companies couldn't do things because they were their hands were tied based on the COVID regs. And then so they were looking, they were incurring losses, but they were looking to either the government or the carriers to, for that relief. Well, the carrier said, well, you can't get me on this because there's nothing to really trigger business interruption insurance unless you have a physical property claim. So I think you had that. The other piece of this coming out, the biggest, the biggest thing for me that I've seen, especially in the marketplace, has been on the property side of things. Less and less insurers are, are insuring property the way they used to, right? So property premiums have gone up, retentions have gone up. So there's this other aspect that on a property side coming out of COVID, I could have had 10 carriers at one of my business. You know, so if I burned one, it wasn't a big deal, right? Now there's two or three rates are up and you don't have those choices. So you got to get a little bit better. And I think that one of the biggest things that I've seen from a risk management standpoint is that property size really gotten tight, really gotten hard. The underwriting's gotten tighter and that translates to builders risk premiums and things of that nature in the construction space. The other piece of that is that companies on the back end from a COVID standpoint, you know, because they've started to kind of, they had to get lean, they're sitting there going, okay, well, I got lean, but man, I'm not lean enough because the cost to build now is going crazy. The fine, everything we're seeing, all these ramifications financially and through insurance that really are affecting the bottom line. And when you're working for maybe 10 points or less, given depending on what you're doing, some of those other trades probably are doing 15 or whatever, but it gets tight, right? I mean, you went through this terrible time where everything was tight and then you come out and the pricing is just 10 times worse than it was before going in. You're not lean enough. So what do you do? And I think that's a big organizational shift for some of these companies. Well said. Hey, Joe, if, I know we could talk safety and risk. And, and, and I like what John said there about the evolution of safety into risk management. I think that's a great Great summary of what we're talking about today. And Joe, I just want to thank you for joining us. God knows we could talk and hear a lot of other stories, but what- I, I probably talk too much. You guys usually do all the talking in the podcast. I no, talk no, too no. Oh, no. People tune in to hear you, to hear the guests, not us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for having us. And, and let's do it again. In episode two, we'll do it at a sports bar. That sounds great. Okay, cool. I love all that. Right. We could do that. What's my own? What's my own? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.